This is the Lesbian Historic Motif Podcast, brought to you by Heather Rose Jones. The show looks at lesbian and sapphic themes in history and literature, and historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past. We present research, interviews, news of the field, book listings, and original historical fiction for your enjoyment. For even more historic research, check out our blog, Welcome to On the Shelf for January 2021. The new year is most often thought of as a time for fresh starts, new beginnings, and revising one's path in life. This year, it feels like we're all still in the middle of the awfulness, and it will still be a while before change will come. But for this podcast, at least, this month marks a shift in gears and some fresh directions. We're now broadcasting only through the new independent show, and it means we've lost a significant part of our previous listeners, though I hope it's only temporary. Thank you to all the listeners who followed us over, or who recently joined. And thank you especially to all of you who talk the show up and help new listeners find us. The big format and content change is that the interview segments will now be shorter and combined into this monthly roundup, reducing the schedule to twice monthly, plus the quarterly fiction shows. Another minor change is that the new book listings will include a brief description of the setting and plot rather than reading the cover copy. And there will still be occasional news items and discussions on the field of lesbian and sapphic historical fiction in general. And speaking of the fiction series, it's January, so submissions are open for the 2021 fiction series. All month we'll be accepting submissions of short stories up to 5,000 words featuring sapphic characters in historic settings, including some types of historic fantasy. I'm looking forward to seeing what this year brings. See the call for submissions link in the show notes for full details and how to submit. The blog finally finished discussing Martha Vakinas' Intimate Friends, and I confess it became something of a slog, with the book turning into more literary and psychological analysis than the history of people. Rather than continue with my original plan, which was to tackle a book with a similar feel, I went through the shelves and grabbed several works that may be a bit more exciting. I'll start with a collection, Homosexuality in French History and Culture, edited by Jeffrey Merrick and Michael Sibelis. Only a few of the articles focus on women, but I already found one of them quite valuable when writing the episode on the Anandrine sect. That should take care of January, and then I'll see what catches my eye. For this month's essay, I've been inspired by reading through excerpts from Ann Lister's diaries to take notes on how her courtships and sexual encounters were scripted. It's an interesting study in the social dynamics of the early 19th century. And this month, we have our first fiction episode of 2021, with a lightly fantastic tale of medieval Provence, A Soldier in the Army of Love, by Diane Morrison. Last month, I wondered where all the December books were, since I only knew about two to mention then. But this month, I looked and I found another five titles of interest, plus six January books. The eras cover a wide span of time, and the settings extend outside the Anglophone world. Three of the December books are continuations of a previous series. Mary D. Brooks' Intertwined Souls series has a new entry with Promise is a Promise, set just after World War II, beginning with a promise made in an Egyptian refugee camp and ending with the Christmas surprise. This is an extended series following a group of continuing characters and may work best for those already familiar with the series. Lee Swanson's earlier novel of medieval merchants in gender disguise, No Man's Chattel, is now followed by a sequel, Her Perilous Game, with the series title No Man is Her Master. 
In 14th century Europe, Christina Cole takes on the identity of her dead brother to become a merchant in the Hanseatic League, encountering both political chaos and scheming rivals during a trading voyage to England. I'm always excited to see stories with authentic medieval settings, and someday I hope to find time to read this series. Renaissance Italy is the setting for the final book in Adeo Lane's The Nightflyer trilogy, Chaos in Milan. A combination of superhero adventure and romance set among feuding city-states and infused with the imaginative technology of Leonardo da Vinci. Mariah R. Embry's Beyond the Vines is a bit more down-to-earth and deals with independence and growing romance as well as trauma. In 1918, Amina flees an abusive husband with her son and travels to Washington State, where she is taken in by vineyard owner Celeste. While struggling to establish herself and find a new path, she is surprised by an unexpected romance. The final December book is a Christmas-themed novella set in Victorian England. The Christmas Chevalier by Meg Mardle is not a sapphic book, as the protagonists are a woman and a trans man who is enjoying the temporary freedom to be his true self. But because of the fuzzy edges of categories in historic contexts, I thought it might be of interest to some listeners. A masquerade dance provides the context for two friends to see each other in a different light. The January books start off with this month's author guest, Melinda Lowe, with Last Night at the Telegraph Club. In 1950s San Francisco, Lily Hu juggles being a good Chinese daughter, dreaming of a career in science, and sneaking off to a lesbian nightclub with her friend Kath, who she hopes will become more than a friend. We'll be talking about the book later in this show. From Nian Yu Tan comes a book more on the mythic side of the fence than the historic. Captive in the Underworld is a sapphic take on the legend of Persephone, but this is a dark tale of coercion and abuse, not a romance. Content note for non-consensual sex. On a very different note, Maxine Kaplan's Wench has a medievalish setting in an unspecified location with a spunky teenage tavern wench holding her own with the help of a little bit of magic. This is a YA story with what sounds like a loose connection with history, but it sounds like a lot of fun. Another fun working class romance is the graphic novel Patience and Esther by S.W. Cyril, which tells the story of two maids in an Edwardian country house falling in love in a rapidly changing world that offers them new opportunities. Bonus points for a diverse ethnic representation. I supported the Kickstarter for this book, and I'm really looking forward to enjoying it. A speculatively alternative Wild West is the setting for Anna North's Outlawed, which plunges our heroine into a seriously gender-bent version of the Hole in the Wall gang, who push back against an epidemic-ravaged society obsessed with female fertility. Don't go into this book expecting a traditional Western or a feel-good adventure, but rather a gripping dystopia steeped in queerness. The final January book falls in the genre of Pride and Prejudice spin-offs, but this one focuses and expands on the character of Anne de Berg, who was more or less a cipher in the original book. Molly Greeley's The Heiress, The Revelations of Anne de Berg, traces Anne's struggle to get out from under her mother's thumb and the laudanum addiction imposed on her from childhood. With the help of cousins in London, she begins to invent a new life and identity for herself. The cover copy doesn't touch on the sapphic elements, but reviews confirm that one of the things she finds in London is love for a woman. This is Greeley's second Austin-inspired novel, but the first doesn't have queer elements. Have a sapphic historical coming out? Or know of one which you think I might not know about? Drop the podcast a note to make sure we include it. Or drop us a note if you've found a book you loved through these listings. So what have I been consuming lately? 
After my flurry of reading in November, I went back into my slump. But I did watch the new historical movie, Ammonite, based on the life of Victorian fossil collector Mary Anning and her lifelong friend Charlotte Murchison, the wife of a leading geologist. Although the erotic relationship that the movie focuses on is interpolated into that friendship, Anning had several very close female friendships that supported her career, including her mentor, paleontologist Elizabeth Philpott. The character of Philpott also appears in the movie, but I'd have to rewatch it to see if it's the woman that Anning is implied to have previously had a romantic relationship with. I'm not the one to complain about exploring the erotic potential of Victorian-era romantic friendships, but I do think the movie does a disservice to the historic Charlotte Murchison, who was a talented scientific illustrator and may have inspired her husband's interest in geology, whereas the movie depicts her as a frail neurotic dilettante. Given the historic facts of Anning and Murchison's lives, I'm a bit impatient with the criticism of the movie as not having a happy ending for the romance. But if you know a filmmaker who wants to make a movie about female couples in history living happily ever after, I can give them a shopping list of ideas for inspiration. Now, on to our author guest. This month's guest is Melinda Lowe, whose novel Last Night at the Telegraph Club comes out this month. Welcome, Melinda. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Why don't you start with a quick synopsis of the book? A quick synopsis of the book. Well, it is about a Chinese-American girl in San Francisco in 1954. Uh, her name is Lily Hu, and she is starting to suspect that she might be a lesbian, and maybe her friend Kath is too. Uh, they're both in high school together. Um, so Lily sees an ad in the newspaper for the Telegraph Club, which features a male impersonator. And Kath tells her that she has been there before and they could go. So this is extremely revolutionary to Lily and um, they do go. <laughs> Not a spoiler, it's in the title. They do go. And the story is about Lily's coming of age and about her falling in love for the first time. Uh-huh. I really enjoyed all the different layers of representation in the book not only the lesbian romance, but the whole Cold War thing, the isolation and excitement of being a geek girl in the mid 20th century. And, and of course, all the complex experiences of the Chinese community in San Francisco. What inspired you to bring all those elements together? Well, weirdly, um, maybe not weirdly, two nonfiction books. Um, I read Rise of the Rocket Girls by Natalia Holt and also um, Wide Open Town by Nan Ella Milla Boyd. So these are two very different books. <laughs> Rise of the Rocket Girls is about the um, women computers who worked at the Jet Propulsion Lab uh, since its founding. And the Wide Open Town is a historical survey of San Francisco's queer community. Mm -hmm. So it's the, one is very academic, the other was very popular, but I felt like there was some, when they mixed in my brain, you know, they inspired this idea. I, I realized that also something else happened. So in San Francisco, I, where I used to live, I don't live there anymore. Chinatown is literally two blocks away from North Beach. And North Beach is where there was a very lively lesbian bar scene in the 1950s, which is what I learned from Wide Open Town. And I got to thinking, you know, there must have been some queer Chinese Americans living in Chinatown in the 1950s, even if there's no historical record of us, it's not like we didn't, we existed. Yeah. You know, and it would not take much for them to just, you know, 
go on over to Broadway, which is literally next door to Chinatown and go visit these lesbian bars. So that geographic proximity of North Beach and Chinatown also was part of the inspiration for the book. So in my head, all these things mixed together because I'm kind of a space nerd. I, I love space. <laughs> and so I wanted my main character to be interested in rocket science. It was the atomic age in the early 1950s. The US was in the space race against the Soviet Union. And reading Rise of the Rocket Girls, I realized that several of the early women computers at JPL were actually Chinese American. So I was really inspired and intrigued by that. And I wondered, you know, what if this girl wants to be a rocket scientist? You know, she, no one's going to encourage her to be a rocket scientist in 1954, but maybe she has an aunt who works at JPL who kind of nurtures her interest in that science. So all these things kind of smushed together in some weird magical way in my brain. And that that's where this book came from. I think it's always hard to pinpoint like one single source of inspiration because I don't know about you, but I'm always going around and like reading about all sorts of different things. And so many things are interesting to me and they all kind of mix together and eventually, hopefully they, they result in an idea. Yeah, that's what I call the the compost heap brain. You just keep yes. throwing things into your compost heap and then one day a story seed falls into it and it just blooms, you know? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I remember like half a dozen years ago, you were asking around about sources for uh, historic research materials on queer San Francisco. Was that as, as this book was developing or was that well, more general? That's part of it. I also have an idea for a different book set ah. in San Francisco. And so I was actually beginning to read, I started to read Wide Open Town to think about that book. And so it's really interesting. That book has not yet been written, um, ah. uh -huh. but it will be, I hope. Yes, I remembered it because I think either you recommended to me or I recommended to you a book on like the the history of cross-dressing in San Francisco starting in the gold rush era. You may have recommended, I do remember noting, taking down the link that you sent me. And I did, I do have a book on cross-dressing in San Francisco now. So it's starting in the gold rush. So it may yeah, be you. That's probably that, me that book. Yeah. yeah. So you've been a great cheerleader for queer representation, diverse representation in general in the mainstream YA literature field. And your debut novel, Ash, back in 2009, yeah, long time now. <laughs> <laughs> it's often pointed to as a, a significant step in mainstream publishers being willing to, to commit to overtly queer YA stories. When you look back on the last 20 years in publishing, what are your thoughts? Well, there's so many more queer books being published now by mainstream publishers. It's really amazing. I think the last four or five years in particular have shown that it's really taken off. There's been an explosion just in the last four or five years. And I'm so happy about that because I remember when Ash came out, I was often the only queer author at whatever book event festival I was doing. I mean, there I was not the only one. There were definitely but, others, but we were never in the same place at the same time. So it was- There very, could be only one. <laughs> Well, that was the attitude. Like I, I did all this research into how many queer YA books are published every year. And in the early days, it really was literally one per imprint per yeah. year. And I'm so glad that that's over now. And that there's more because it's so great to be able to go to a book event in the days when we could leave our houses and go places. <laughs> it was, it was wonderful 
just in the last few years to be able to go to a book festival and be on a panel with other queer writers. Yes. You know, that's just such a wonderful change. It's so much more comfortable to be in public with your queer book with other queer people there. It's, it's just other, because then you don't have to, you know, come out on the panel and wonder what the audience is going to say. It's all, it, it, it has, there have been some situations where it has felt a little bit, um, not necessarily unsafe, but definitely uncomfortable. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also nice to be an out queer author and get to do programming about other topics too. Well, I still aspire to that. No, sometimes I do get to talk about other stuff, which is great. There's still a a tendency to pigeonhole queer writers to only talk about queer stuff. You know, I I get it, um, but I am excited to have the opportunity to talk about other things, you know? Uh Yeah, you, one of the resonances in Telegraph Club that I think ties in with that was Lily's constant experience of, of being overtly Chinese in Caucasian society and feeling like that was the only thing that people knew or saw about her. I yeah. really noticed that. And I think you handled that really well. Well, as, as a white person uh, reading it, I thought you handled it really well, but it's not for me to say. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I know you've written some historical short fiction previously, but I think Telegraph Club is your first non-SFF novel. Do you have any ideas or plans other than the aforementioned San Francisco project uh, for more uh, well, novels? It's, it's not my only um, non-SFF oh. <laughs> novel. My, uh, previ- my, my last book, A Line in the Dark, was a psychological thriller. Oh, okay. I missed so. that one somehow. Yeah, no, it's fine. It came out in 2017 and it's uh, set in New England in the winter, the deep, dark New England uh-huh. winter. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a psychological thriller. But I, I, this is my first historical novel and it's my first, like, I guess you would, you could say non-genre novel. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Um, even though it's, it's still YA and it's a historical, I think historical is certainly a genre. Yes. It's not science fiction or thriller. Mm-hmm. But I, I discovered through writing this that I absolutely love writing historical fiction. I love it so much. I feel like it's like a thing I'm supposed to do. I mean, I just, I'm just like a super geek about historical research. So I, I am feeling so happy right now. <laughs> oh my God. I have so many, I have so many, um, I have many ideas and I am very hopeful that some of them at least will come to fruition so oh yes please please yeah (laughs) I I strongly encourage that I like to ask my guests to mention something they've consumed either a book movie or whatever that they particularly enjoyed and would like to recommend and it it doesn't have to be historical but that's always nice well I definitely have a historical it's sort of historical Emily Danforth's latest book Plain Bad Heroines which is a wonderful gothic novel it's set both in the turn of the century, turn of the 20th century in Rhode Island and in the present day. It's set at a girls boarding school where somebody dies and that's in the past. And in the present, they're shooting a movie based on what happened at the boarding school. Uh-huh. So it's very sapphic. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's very queer. It's gothic and creepy and perfect to read in the winter. Um, it's just so much fun and it's a giant book. You can just sink into it oh, and great. totally enjoy it. 
Well, thank you. Uh, I will encourage listeners to check it out. So if people wanted to follow you online, where should they look? You can always find me on Twitter. I'm at Melinda Lowe. That's M-A-L-I-N-D-A-L-O. And I am also at Melinda Lowe on Instagram and on Facebook. Although I admit I, I rarely check Facebook. <laughs> you, can, you can also visit me on my website, which is at MelindaLowe.com. Thank you. I will put links to everything you've mentioned in the show notes. And thank you, Melinda, for sharing your time with the Lesbian Historic Motif Podcast. Thank you for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif Podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app and consider supporting our Patreon 